Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That's bluehost.com wondersuite. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This content is brought to you by Uphold, which is a great platform that makes it easy and simple for you to buy, hold, and sell and earn crypto. You can trade from anything to anything. For example, you can trade between cryptocurrencies and precious metals. It's an amazing platform that I've been using for years. And in fact, I still use to this day because they're one, a great exchange, um, they're reputable, and they're one of the only exchanges that still lists XRP. Many of the other exchanges have delisted XRP due to the SEC lawsuit, but you can still get XRP on Uphold. So I have interviewed the CEO, the founder, and many other representatives from Uphold over the years, and I'm a fan of this platform. And once again, there's some great features like trading between different assets very easily. You don't have to convert to a currency and so forth. They're used by 10 plus million users. They have over 200 cryptocurrencies. And they have a very easy to use app. Uh, the interface is really nice. So I can certainly vouch for this platform. Once again, I've been a user for years. So if you'd like to learn more about Uphold, please visit the link in the description. Welcome back to the Thinking Crypto podcast, your home for cryptocurrency news and interviews. With me today is Charles Hoskinson, who's the founder of Cardano. Charles, great to have you back on the show. It's wonderful to be here. How you been? I've been well. I've uh, been following Cardano very closely. Uh, as you all know, I well, the folks listening, I hold the ADA token. I'm a big fan of Cardano and big fan of yours, Charles. I, I appreciate the Cardano <laughs> pillow behind you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely there. So uh, lots of questions for you, some from myself as well as the community. So Charles, I would love to start with Lace, which is uh, the light wallet platform. Can you tell us about that and what are the goals for the Lace uh, wallet? Sure, we're really excited about this product. So uh, we've been core protocol developers for a long time, and you know we've done Cardano, we've done work in Ethereum Classic, uh, 
we do work in Horizon and all across the board, we've understood a lot through that practice of what is required to construct a protocol, uh, what is required to make it secure, what is required to do that deep engineering work. So one area that we've had to, as a result of that work, get involved in is the wallet space. And so we created Daedalus, uh, but Daedalus is a reference. It's not meant to be commercialized. It's just meant to be a representation of the minimum viable functionality for an ecosystem. And then what we always assumed was that a rich wallet ecosystem would start forming around Cardano. And it did. There's Euroi, there's Flint Wallet, there's Typhoon, there's Nami, et cetera, et cetera. And it's gotten to a point where there's enough diversity there that it justifies the existence of some new, exciting, innovative things that are actually commercial, not reference. And by being commercial, that means that they're feature rich and they do lots of cool stuff. And there's all kinds of ways that you can partner with people uh, to bring mutual benefit. So about a year ago, we decided to start the Lace Project, where we kind of asked what would be required for a next generation wallet. So it has to be lightweight, it has to be fast, it has to be highly usable, but also it has to innovate. It has to bring new things to the table. So in addition to all the things you would expect, like having the capacity to vote and delegate and store your money and easy to back up and hardware wallet support and so forth. We wanted to do two particular things and bring them into the space and get them really excited. One, we wanted to say, can we reimagine the security model? Right now it's light wallet, full node. Full node, super expensive, super heavy. You're basically running a database, a server and a lot of other infrastructure on your computer. You can't really do that well on a laptop and most desktop computers, and you don't get a good user experience. That's why a lot of people say Daedalus is slow or it takes a long time for Daedalus to sync. That's a universal problem amongst all full nodes. It doesn't matter if you're in the Zcash ecosystem to Bitcoin or Ethereum. That's just how those wallets work. Now, the advantage is they have great security. You don't trust anybody. When you get a transaction, you're in a position where you can know with certainty that that transaction is completely right. When you look at a light client, they're very lightweight by design, which means they work on a cell phone, they work on a browser. The problem is the security model does involve trusting a third party to a certain extent. So we said, could we have something that's like a full node, but it has the light client experience? So this required the invention of a new protocol called Mithril. And we spent now about a year working on that protocol. And we've got it to a point where it's almost ready for prime time. And Lace, we believe, is going to be the first Mithril-enabled wallet. So as it goes through beta, we have to get a lot of things cleaned up. But then next year, it'll be enabled with Mithril. And that effectively means it's as if you're running a full node in terms of security, but you get the performance and the, uh, and the user experience with a browser wallet or a light client. So that's really cool and that's really exciting. And it's uh, something we hope that can spread throughout the entire Cardano ecosystem. And every Cardano wallet eventually supports that technology. And we're happy to be the first mover there. The second thing we really looked carefully at uh, was this idea of an identity first wallet. So we have this great product called Atala Prism. It has about 7 million customers. And uh, those customers are doing some great things. Uh, but basically, it's a did standard identity framework. And what's so cool about that is that you can start talking around how does identity operate on the cryptocurrency space? Yeah. So how does that fit into dApps? How does that fit into wallets? And why do you care? Well, you go from sending to a pseudonymous address to a human readable address. So you send to Charles, not a pseudonym. You send to Bob, you send to Alice, these types of things. You have friends, you have secure communication channels. Eventually, you can talk about higher order things like estate planning considerations. A great example would be, uh, what if you die? What happens to your crypto? 
Well, using smart contracts and identity, it's very easy to create sweep accounts where if you don't have a proof of life, a dead man switch, something you're doing like decrypting your wallet every 120 days or something like that, it gets swept to a custodian and then there's a recovery process. So if you lose access to your wallet or you die, you have this means to basically recover it. Alongside a whole bunch of other things like enterprise wallets, how do you do an organization where you have 500 employees and you want to give each and every one of them a spending policy and do that type of orchestration and so forth. So the integration of PRISM into LACE, it'll take some time to do that, but step-by-step, step, each step of the way, it'll add new capabilities and functionality. And you can start talking about all just kinds of cool stuff, just like what I mentioned, in addition to how do you add the regulated space into this? Like for example, some offerings like ISPOs, they say, well, we can only allow non-US citizens to participate. Or uh, if you want to create an exchange account, you have to go through KYC ML. Go through KYC with a DID for supporting exchanges. What you'd be able to do is one-click creation of an of account with an exchange, just start trading, and you don't actually have to go through KYC for each exchange. For example, so these are kinds of things that we're really excited to explore in the space. And in addition to a DApp store that we think is going to be best in class, uh, and there we're really pushing deeply into the certified software space. So we have this problem of how do I know a DApp works? How do I know ADAPT is functional and secure? How do I know ADAPT's not fraudulent? How do I know it's really Charles's DAP versus kind of scammer's DAP? I mean, look at Twitter with the bots. You know, it's oh, yeah. pretty, pretty pervasive. So what if you had a certification standard and you visually represent certified software differently? And part of the certification process is answering all those questions. So our DAP store that we're deploying with LACE uh, which will be in beta this year and launched uh, next year, that DAP store is going to actually be able to visually represent certified DAPs differently from uncertified DAPs. Mm -hmm. So as a user of software in the Cardano ecosystem, we can start differentiating the things that where people did their homework and there's a higher probability of security and, and reliability and, and honesty uh, from other things. So that's kind of an ecosystem play. You know, spaces for DEXs to play, spaces for NFT stores to play, identity first, and being able to integrate that and, and make it much more usable so grandma can finally use the wallet securely and safely. And then also being able to maintain our, our reputation as a protocol developer, meaning that we can roll our own crypto. We actually understand security at a very deep level and we understand reliability and performance at a deep level. So very high level of software quality, you know, and uh, being able to lead and take the space with us. Everything that we do in LACE, we'd like to turn it into an open standard for wallet certification. And then what we'd like to do is try to use Catalyst so that other wallet developers can actually get paid to get certified to meet those standards so that across the board, everybody in the Cardano ecosystem enjoys the same level of security regardless of the commercial experience that they choose. So this is a way where we can kind of work with the industry and learn by doing. And our hope is that eventually it's gonna result in a uh, situation where everybody in the industry, uh, in the car at least in the Cardano space does well. Now, the other cool part about LACE is also that we're planning on a self-serve backend where we can make it easy for third-party cryptocurrencies, whether it be Algorand or Tezos or Polkadot, to integrate against it, similar to how people integrate with Rosetta and Coinbase. And then if they can do that, it means it's very easy for us to support new cryptocurrencies. So mm -hmm. our long-term vision is for LACE to be a platform for all cryptocurrencies, not just Cardano. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin, Ethereum, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll do Bitcoin and Ethereum. 
Uh, and then uh, we'll partner with lots of people and find ways to bring them in to do that. And then my hope is eventually to have hundreds of cryptocurrencies supported and native assets, uh, ERC-20 assets and other things supported in the Lace platform. And then every single one of them will enjoy that same quality of security, performance, reliability, and hopefully we can create some cross-industry standards about these things, especially for interoperability. I love that, Charles. And one thing that stood out to me that you said is to make it easy for grandma to use and I was literally having this conversation yesterday in a Twitter space is that for the end consumer to use these products and, and get over these technical hurdles and barriers and the trust factor, you know, which, which DAP is Charles and which one's Tony? Is this a scammer? There's just so many open or unanswered questions and, and no solutions for some of these problems yet. But I love what you guys are building. And then you said that you're also looking to have uh, support for other blockchains and cryptos, which uh, that was going to be a question I was going to ask you. So that's that's amazing. Yeah. And also doing it in a standards-driven way. Like when we see identity first, well, we're not inventing a new standard. We're following in a standard that the industry has adopted, the bid standard that's cross-blockchain. And the great part about all this is you own it. You own your identity. You own your assets. It's a non-custodial wallet. And so what's so cool about that is that you have maximum freedom. You can leave at any time. No one can stop you. You can move from one experience to another experience. And that's really the values of the cryptocurrency ecosystem. But by having these capabilities, what it allows you to do is have much more control over when you trust people and how you trust people to augment services. Like if you want to live in a world where you think for the rest of time, you're always going to remember your keywords and always remember your password and always be able to access your wallet. That's a world you could live in. You have that freedom. But if you think that maybe there's some scenarios that that's not going to be the case, now we can have a conversation about who do you trust and at what level do you trust them and how do you want to do your estate planning and so forth. And that needs to be a seamless experience for you as a user. So you start in the least trustful world, and then you can escalate accordingly and pick your partners along the way. And that's why it's a commercial wallet instead of a reference wallet. Because a reference wallet, they can't make those types of decisions or relationships. It's just there to serve the need of the product. Call. Whereas a commercial wallet, you could pick preferred partners who are trusted, vetted, uh, and make it very easy and turnkey uh, so that grandma can just click a button and it works. And for the most part, it's okay with them. And then obviously competition occurs and reasonable people have disagreements about what needs to be done. Another thing that was important to us is that we need to bring up the standard. You know, and so what we need to do is leverage our ecosystem where once we know what is a good open standard for a certified wallet, uh, we need to encourage every single major wallet developer who has access to ADA, who's uh, securing ADA with their wallet software to get upgraded to it. And the community can make decisions of whether they want to compensate that or not through the Catalyst program. So I think this is an example where everybody can work together and then we can all hold each other to high standards. And that effectively will mean that Cardano remains the most secure experience in the uh, cryptocurrency space uh, and ultimately helps us be the most competitive experience in the cryptocurrency space. Um, for the wallet security setups, will it be similar to other wallets that we have right now where you have your seed phrase and um, your private keys, things like that? And you know that's something you, you custody uh, on your own? 
Yeah. And what's nice is you can escalate from there. So once you introduce an identity standard, then you can create cloud backups and all kinds of backup schemes. In addition, we really do want to integrate other technologies like uh, hardware modules, for example, YubiKeys and these things, and the ability to use technology like PGP as part of that process. So it's just as an example, one of the things I'd love to see done in 2023, and it's on the roadmap, but you know we're doing so much, it might slip a bit but it's so far, it's looking good, is this idea of a paper wallet generator where it, instead of generating a bunch of keywords, what it has is it has QR codes on it. And then you have a public QR code and a private one. The public one you can scan, the private one is colored. And it's colored representing how secure the encryption of it is. And so uh, the uh, it would start red, and then you can enter a password or encrypt it with a security key, and then it gets green over time. Then the beautiful thing is because you have an encrypted private key in QR code format, when you print it, you replay attacks on the printer don't do anything. Mm. You see, and this is something that you can generate as a backup of your wallet. So while you're creating your wallet, in addition to having your spending password and your 24 keywords and whatever you do with them, you also have an option to just click a button, generate a paper wallet at the same time. Super easy user experience. If you have a YubiKey or you know something like that, just plug it in, click a button, boom, it's done. And then suddenly you have this super secure thing and your back experience is super easy. If you ever want to move from one thing to another, you just scan the QR code with a webcam, enter YubiKey, tap it, and you're done the wallet's fully backed up, this type of thing. So these are the, the cool things you can do uh, when you talk about a commercial wallet, you can add these capabilities in. You know, the other thing is we have great partners like the Human Computer Interaction Group at Carnegie Mellon. We've been in discussions with them and they're one of the world leaders in interface design and user experience about talking about, are there ways we can get away from 24 keywords and move to maybe some other standard, like a picture or something that you can reconstruct or restore a wallet to make it more user-friendly in that respect. And being able to have great data and great focus groups and work hand in glove with the people that use the software, this means that we'll have the ability to grow as they grow, learn as they grow. And it's a cloud product. You know, Every six weeks, eight weeks, we can do an update. So it has a rapid release cycle. So we're always experimenting, we're always adding, we're always partnering. And the goal is to always improve usability and security at the same time. I it's love a that. Great, it's a great ecosystem too. There's so many devices, whether it be hardware modules like YubiKeys or ledgers, uh, to just ways to interplay with cloud software so that you can you know, hook things in and if you want to do a backup with Dropbox or Gmail or these things, there are patterns you can follow to still keep that very secure. I love that. Um, and I love that uh, the ease of use is progressing, you know, the ability to uh, make things easier for mass adoption. Um, you know, you mentioned hardware and one of my questions, you know, for you was going to be uh, what's on your roadmap as far as hardware, if any, you know, there's certain blockchains that are launching phones and so forth. I don't know if that makes sense. But uh, any other hardware items that you're thinking of? Well, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And I think that anytime you see a blockchain phone in this day and age, there was a time where it made a lot of sense. But in this day and age, it doesn't make it uh, because the cost of developing hardware is in the hundreds of millions to billions. You have to contend with the fact that there's an enormous amount of patents. And at the end of the day, most of the things that go into the phone are fairly commoditized. If you look at the camera design, the chip design, you're probably getting something that's ARM and it's Qualcomm or this type of thing. 
on the Android side. Now, if you have the money to roll your own silicon like Apple does or these things, you know, or, or Google does with the Tensor chips, it's like, wow, that's great. But, you know, we're not a multi-trillion dollar uh, enterprise and it doesn't make a lot of sense to do that. So really, the, the thing is that you have to ask, do you have software? And if you want to have a super secure phone for crypto, I, I would argue 10 times out of 10, that whether it be Solana phone or all these other things that people are thinking about coming up with, just doing something like taking the Google Pixel and putting Graphene OS is probably going to be a better experience, more secure, and ultimately a better phone. Why? Because you're starting from a phone that had billions of dollars of R&D behind it and great hardware in it, and you're putting an operating system on top that has been built from the ground up specifically for security. And so it has everything in it that an InfoSec expert would expect. And it's actually used by militaries and other people for secure communication and clearance information and so forth. So it's very trivial to put that and just make sure that your cryptocurrency wallet is supported in Graphene OS. And then suddenly you have a great crypto phone. By the way, you'll have much better battery life because all the Google telemetry is turned off and yeah. it actually updates faster than normal Android does. They're pushing stuff all the time. And uh, we use it all the time in our CompSec in the field when we go to countries like Mongolia or other places where there's a lot of spying and other things and industrial espionage because it's a great secure communication platform. So that's where I think innovation can be done. Um, there's also other phones like Samsung that have crypto wallets already built in. They use the Knox framework for it, much more secure than most people's stuff. Uh, and frankly, uh, you know, if you want extra security, just buy a Ledger or a Tresor. And they work with the phones. Yeah. They work with these things. And so why would we need to buy a completely new phone? Because our design space as a cryptocurrency developer is we want you to have a secure experience. Right. A phone design space is you want to take pictures. You want to communicate with people. You, you want to record things with video, high-def 4K video. You want a long battery life. You want durability. You want all these things. Like, okay, well... None of those things are core competencies of a cryptocurrency development team. And to make those core competencies, you have to spend hundreds of billions to billions of dollars to build up the brain trust, the intellectual property, uh, if you're going to do something proprietary. If you're not doing something proprietary, you're just using off-the-shelf equipment, why not just take Google Pixel, which is a great phone, and new ones coming out this month, and just put a new operating system on and write some software for that operating system? That makes a lot more sense and it's much more accessible. Uh, Google Pixels, there's no supply chain issues. There's none of these things. And with your own OS, you can do whatever you want. Graphene is a great option in that respect. So I think it, it's a very bad strategy in that respect now. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, 
Our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It does make sense to say maybe there's room to compete with YubiKey, Maybe there's room to compete with Ledger or Trezor or these other guys for specific use cases and applications. That's what every key does and these other guys do. And I, you know, maybe that makes sense. So we had this conversation with Tangem because the chips that they were using in the Tangem cards were very old. And we were always thinking, is it possible maybe to do some electrical engineering work to create an ASIC that, that's specifically good for the types of things cryptocurrencies are doing? Because we were talking about offline, off-chain transactions there. So you go to Africa, somebody in Ethiopia or Burundi doesn't have internet connectivity. So how do we build a system where I can transact cryptocurrencies offline? If I have like RFID cards with... Uh, good secure hardware in them, you can do that through a protocol of secure erasure and uh, proof of uniqueness for key generation. So it is possible you know, to build that. And that's that's a very bespoke design space that Google's not going to cover and Samsung's not going to cover and Ledger Trezor aren't going to cover either. So it makes a lot more sense to say, okay, well, you know, because I need a price point of a dollar for one of these things because I'm giving them to everybody in the country. You know, okay, let's do some custom work in hardware there. It makes no sense to say, let's build a brand new phone, compete with Apple, compete with Google, compete with Samsung uh, when they're multi-trillion dollar companies and they have thousands and thousands of engineers. Because even if you're successful, they'll sue you into oblivion for patent infringement right. and all this <laughs> other stuff. And then at the end of the day, you're also competing with the operating system as well. So I guess you could do Android, but then if you're doing Android, you have a huge backdoor and all these things here and all these problems. So you're going to have to do a fork of Android, and then you've basically reconstructed Graphene OS under the under the hood. So, okay, was that an efficient use of your your money and uh, your trust that you have in your community? Yeah, markets will decide. Right. And yeah. by the way, Microsoft even failed with their phone. That's Microsoft. Yep. Look at the Windows phone. They put probably $25 billion and and into that. They bought Nokia. And with all their patents, their legacy, their trillions of dollars, the ownership of Nokia, they still failed to bring a third option to market. Yeah, great points. Um, and when I first saw that specifically with Solana and so forth, I was like, yeah, this does not make sense. And uh, I was just curious, you know, if you guys are thinking about now, it. I will point, I will point something out though. The Solana phone will be a world leader in its ability to restart. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, let's not even talk about that. Like, you know, is it down today for six hours or, you know, anyway. you just take it out, you blow it, put it back in. It'll work. <laughs> Um, let's talk about the Vassal uh, upgrade, which took place uh, recently. Tell us about that and, and uh, the outcome and you know, did, did everything go well? 
Yeah, actually, it, it went really well, and the community showed its power there. You know, we said, hey, we're ready to go, and the community said, no, we want to test more. And they're, they're the ones in charge, and so we had to wait a little longer, and actually, it was good time well spent. We all learned a lot in the process, and SIP 47 came out of it. Uh, but all things considered, what Fossil did, and I say this a lot, but I, I want to make sure it's not a missed point, you have a few options when you design a smart contract stack, and it, we call it the spectrum of expressiveness. So on the right-hand side, on the right side of the spectrum, that's all about maximum expressiveness. And by expressiveness, I mean things you can do, the level of programmability you have. Well, that's great because you can do everything. The problem is because you can do everything, attackers can use everything to break your smart contract, steal all your money and do things. And we see this all the time with bridge hacks, the Dow hack, you know, the $35 billion of money that's been stolen. Now, on the other hand, you could be on the left side of the spectrum and says, you can't do a lot. Now, because you can't do a lot, you don't get capabilities like DEXs and issuing your own assets, et cetera, et cetera. But you can exhaustively look at all the attack vectors, lock them off, and that means you have fewer hacks. That's why nobody talks about Bitcoin DAP hacked because it's not a very expressive system. You can't build DAPs on it. So that by definition, there's nothing to hack. You know, it's a very secure system. So we had to make a decision, which side of the spectrum do we want to be on? Where, where do we want to put that? So with Cardano, what we did is we said, Bitcoin's a pretty good starting point, but let's extend it. So we created extended UTXO and then put a very safe language on top. And then upgrade after upgrade, we can move a little bit more to the right. And every time we do it, we can check and make sure we haven't broken anything along the way. So Alonzo last year was the very beginning where extended UTXO was introduced and Plutus was introduced. And it was good enough for Sunday Swap to exist and all these other things to exist on the network, but also frustrating in that it didn't have all the capabilities that people would want didn't have the data availability that people want and a lot of things to optimize contracts. So then what happened is we worked with the community and developers for about a year and we through a standards driven process wrote SIP 31, 32, 33, SIP 40 and other things. And what we learned from that were basically new things that would make it much easier to write Plutus smart contracts. And because of the expressiveness increase, new types of dApps on Cardano. So what's happened is if you look between Plutus version one, the old Alonzo era, and Plutus version two, which both run on the chain, by the way, people who are rewriting ver in version two, they're seeing a 10x reduction in transaction size and a half of transaction cost. Okay, and that translates to a huge increase in performance, a huge increase in the things that you can do. And this was done by JPEG Store, Ardano, it was done by Muesli Swap, a lot of DAP developers. So better, faster, cheaper. But then the other thing about Vossel was these new capabilities enable oracles to work, stable coins, algorithmic stable coins to work, these types of things. So we're kind of working our way down. You know, native assets was like bringing color coins to Cardano. And now that we have it, there's millions of assets that have been issued. I, Alonzo was about bringing the extended UTXO model and programmability to the system. And Vossel was about refining that model to now enable us to basically comparably match the DAP space uh, with Ethereum. Now, what's so cool about this is that we didn't give up anything. Every time you start from the left and you move to the right, you maintain backwards compatibility. So any pre-existing things that have been issued or built on Cardano still work. If you're on the other side of the spectrum and you decide you have to reduce your expressiveness for security reasons, anything that was built with that needed functionality is now broken. 
it doesn't work anymore. It has to be rewritten. In some cases, it doesn't work on your system. So I think going left to right makes a lot more sense than going right to left uh, because uh, the consequences of right to left are loss of funds, hacks, and ultimately incompatibility as you scale down. And we've had a great time with it. We've learned a huge amount. The community's doing well. We sometimes get a little criticized for having no chain activity, but we have, we're in the top three to top five for chain activity. And then people just lie. Like we hear all the time, one transaction per second or per block or whatever the, the, the lie of the week is. But then people are publishing transactions where one transaction, they've done something that impacts 200 people or 300 people, like an NFT drop or paying multiple wallets or these types of things. And I think what people are starting to realize is that extended UTXO is the most concurrent and most paralyzable way of doing things. And also the way we've designed it, it works best with off-chain stuff. So whether that be a roll-up or a state channel or any of these things, it works really well with it. It's isomorphic to these types of things. And we've proven those things out. We did all the homework at the end of the day. And if you look at Ethereum or these other spaces, what are their scaling models? Oh, we have to go off-chain. We have to use roll-ups. We have to use state channels. We have to do these things. And we're saying, well, we built our system to do all of that. Accounts doesn't work so well you're going to lose money along the way. You're going to lose gas fees along the way. We're deterministic end-to-end inside the system. So what you see locally is what the network does in that respect. So actually, I think the bets that we've made are starting to really bear some fruit. And now that we have equivalent expressiveness, we're in a position where there's going to be tons of dApps. There's over 1,200 projects that we know of that have announced that they're building on Cardano. At least a few hundred of them are going to do some great work. We should see in 2023 the fruits of those labors, a big increase in TVL, a big increase in adoption and so forth. And that's above and beyond the fact that we're already you know, the top three to top five, according to Masari, in terms of transaction volume. Right. So- you know, it's, it's, things are going well. It's, it's, if this is a ghost chain, I'm pretty terrified to see what isn't. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, we've talked about it in our previous interviews, but, and there's a lot of FUD going around and it seems like Cardano gets targeted. I think it's probably people who are scared. So they have to do this propaganda, right. Uh, Cause maybe their chains are not up to par and uh, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but you've been here longer than me. Um, and you've gone through a lot, a lot of different market cycles. I have certainly encountered my fair share of criticism throughout the uh, days in the cryptocurrency space, especially on cryptocurrency Reddit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I want to ask you about uh, partnerships. Um, I know about the Dish and Boost Mobile partnerships. Last time we spoke, um, you mentioned they were heads down building. Folks wanted me to also ask you about New Balance, and you know if there's any updates on all three of them. Well, with New Balance, it was a scoped contract, and it was for the Kawhi Leonard um, shoe line that that uh, that they pushed out. We delivered that, and there's a whole system for it, and that was done through the innovation group at New Balance. And so it had a beginning, a middle, and an end. And the contract is completed, and the innovation group decided not to go end to end with a full authentication system uh, with any vendor. So it's not like you know, they said us and they went to Ethereum or something. They just discontinued that. Uh, that said, we always talk to people. Brand protection and asset protection is a big deal. I mean, how many counterfeit Rolexes do you see floating around? And this is a high growth market. We had a huge amount of interest in 2021. After the recession came, uh, crypto winter came, a lot of that dried up. And usually what ends up happening is it's very easy to get a relationship in the R&D group but then translating that to general product lines is a little harder. 
in that respect. Uh, that said, uh, Dish and Boost, are, uh, that's a different animal entirely because that's across the whole company. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's ongoing. It's a loyalty point system for now. And um, our hope is to find a way to upgrade that so that it can be end-to-end software with uh, Boost Mobile. But you know, those, those are ongoing conversations and the work continues in that respect. It's a multi-year enterprise contract that uh, we have with them. Now, the Ethiopia side, uh, that's uh, well underway. We, we published a few up updates about it. And we should be able to get all the students probably by 2024. It was going to be a little sooner, 2023, but the issue was that um, conflict in the region slowed things down. And, you know, when that happens, you just take it as it is. It's like having a contract in Ukraine or something. It's like, well, yeah. they have other things they're kind of worried about. But what's surprising is that actually uh, we still have minister level access and the work groups are still exercising and they're hitting their deadlines and so forth. And that's pretty exciting. Uh, what we'd like to see is if we can find a way to align what's been done there with our values and the values of the community to create some form of national ID system. Mm-hmm. So those are ongoing conversations and you know, trying to figure a way, can we make them compatible with the Digital Ethiopia 2025 doctrine that uh, Prime Minister Abi has pushed out? So, you know, it's uh, like many of these things, the cryptocurrency space, they operate in a very fast turnaround. Enterprise and government contracting, it's a three to seven year time horizon. Yes. So you announce the deal, you execute it, it's reliable and repeatable, but it's slower in that respect. But, you know, still going, you know, still going strong. And we learned a lot, you know, it led to the creation of the Africa Credential Alliance. It uh, led to us talking about standards for how do you represent academic credentials with a did. And ultimately, a lot of that's going to be reflected eventually in LACE uh, with the Atala Prism integration as that goes from a B2B and B2G product to a B2C product for consumers. Um, are there other uh, regions, you know, outside of Ethiopia and, and the continent of Africa, the other countries in, in Africa, I should say, um, are you like targeting Latin America or any of the Asian markets with the similar technology? Yeah, we did look into LATAM. The one contract we could have had, but we passed on was we flew to El Salvador and spent some time with the El Salvadoran government, met with President Bukele about the Bitcoin integration. There was a lot we could have done. Uh, we brought a partner with us, AlphaPoint, and uh, AlphaPoint ended up taking the deal. And we decided uh, for values reasons to pass on it. Uh, but we did in that process look at the region. We looked at Honduras and Guatemala and a lot of other places. And there's a huge remittance market and microfinance market that's in LATAM. Uh, so right now working with a partner in Kenya, we have uh, Possession as the partner there. We're developing a real five protocol for lending. And our hope is that as that grows and expands, we can escape Africa, move to Southeast Asia through partners and LATAM through partners, and uh, we can get a larger market. Because at the end of the day, the economics are pretty clear. The loan books are, uh, they're good, but the NPL rate is too high and the rates are too high. So the NPL is non-performing loans. They're about 40% on average with microfinance. So four out of 10 loans default or they they get into a bad state. Mm -hmm. And then the interest rates are very usurious. They're about 35% to 85%, which is great for investors, but it's really terrible for the people there. So the hope is you bring liquidity to those marketplaces. And then over time, the rates can go down, the NPL rates can go down, and then you can build financial products according to risk that can sit on top. That's where the institutions can come in. 
So there's a lot of pilots that are going to be run. We're already running some now with Possessia. 2023, hopefully we can integrate that into LACE and other things and create a lending center that people can use and partners can plug into and regulated actors can handle all of that. Uh, and then our hope is that that can spread uh, decentralized identity, decentralized reputation, but also peer-to-peer -peer lending where they have direct relationships. And that transfer of value will lower the rates and, and actually create better lending marketplaces that are less predatory and usurious. I think the single biggest long-term beneficiary of that in the next five to 10 years is probably the Latin market yeah. uh, because they're closest to America. There's a lot more travel back and forth. And um, those are larger microfinance markets by pound with uh, than compared to a lot of African nations. That said, the longest term growth is probably places like Congo, Nigeria, uh, massive population centers that are quite where they need to be in banking. But when they do, microfinance will be the principal form of credit for SMEs and consumers. So it's an interesting market and we'll have a lot of stuff to say and a lot of products to do. And it's really exciting to have Lace and Prism because they naturally click together, especially when you talk about decentralized reputation and credit scoring. And it's really exciting to see what we can bring to the conversation and on the Cardano ecosystem. A lot of people talk, you know, and they say, oh, we're doing all this stuff. It's like, but guys, it takes patience. Yeah. These things take years and it's really hard. And every step forward, you have a step back. So if you talk about crypto lending, then you have a Celsius. Yeah. You know, and then you say, okay, well, what went wrong there? And how do you avoid these types of things are going wrong? You talk about JED and algorithmic stablecoin. We think it's a great design, but then you have a Luna. And that's, that sets everything back a little bit. And you have to be very methodical. The problem is that the incentives of the system were built where you get paid up front. So everybody was in a gold rush to basically do or say as much as they could, get as many people as they could, make a bunch of money. And then when everything comes collapsing down, laugh about it at their yacht parties. Right. And, uh, and, and, and I don't think that's sustainable. And I think it's going to invite very predatory and negative regulation on the industry. So we just ignore it. And we're very methodical. We step by step by step by step from what the regulations need to be like, what the consumer protections need to be, what protocols need to be designed, and how do you build a fair ecosystem. Even with Lace, we're technically competing with Flint and Typhoon and all these other things. But at the same time, we're saying, how do we make them better? Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Because our problems are their problems in that respect. And if we have a certified wallet standard and we find a way to get them funding through the community to upgrade their wallets, then we know that no matter where your aid is at, you're, you're, it's in the right hands. It's okay. You're secure. You know, these types of things. Well, similarly with lending, it's not good enough just to open up a marketplace. You actually have to talk a lot about how does the person receiving the loan own their reputation and own their identity? Or otherwise, they're at the mercy of an MFI network that could be quite predatory and charge them 85% interest and break their legs if they don't repay. You see, so it's unethical to get into that business unless you have a plan to improve the very nature of the business. But that does require lots of partnerships, regulatory oversight, auditing, and ultimately a lot of uh, no's because you have to do it ethically. I think the disconnect, Charles, with a a lot of the token holders, a lot of folks are just looking on their returns, right? And they're thinking about money versus it takes a lot to build uh, these products and make sure that they are up to par for real world adoption. And uh, look, it is what it is, right? It's Metcalf's law. People are uh, financially incentivized now and hold these tokens, but they don't realize the building aspect that has to go into that. That's why VCs have a hard time with Cardano. You know, with all these other guys, they carved out 20, 30, 40%, whatever. If you look at the Masari inside ownership of these protocols, you know, a big chunk of stuff for VCs. And, you know, they make a fuck ton of money up front off of retail investors. And they look at Cardano, they say, well, where, where's our dedicated carve out? And we're like, it's a fair, it's like Bitcoin, it's a fair distribution. You don't get that. Well, we're not interested in that. So, okay. You know, and you can wrap it up in whatever babble you want and lie to people about capabilities. These things. I, like the other day, I heard somebody say, we don't have multi-sig. I was like, that's news to the NFT people doing drops with multi-sig. That's news to Typhon Wallet. That's news to all these other guys. Okay, I, I personally reviewed uh, some of the specifications when we were getting multi-sig into the ledger. <laughs> Um, I, I'm pretty surprised that people would say that. And that wasn't like a random person. That's a VC that said that. So I think there's a, a disconnect there. And you're absolutely right about financial incentives. They have a financial incentive to be disconnected. So what you do is you just ignore it. You say, look, we've gotten this far bootstrapped with our community. And it's only growing. Every metric, it's growing. So all we got to do is just keep the principles, keep the faith, keep growing. And we're going to wake up one day and have 100 million people or 200 million people. Uh, you know, my mo- one of my most criticized tweets or when I say I predict there's going to be thousands of assets and hundreds of dApps on Cardano. And, and they, they, they've lured this out in the Ethereum community, like somehow we're all liars. And I'm like, guys, you are aware we have 5 million assets on Cardano and 1,200 projects that have announced that they're building on Cardano. Just looking at the Catalyst funding volume as an example of projects. So the prediction came true. What, what exactly is the scandal with the tweet? But they, they pay so little attention that they think they're being clever by tweeting that, not realizing they're self-owning. You know, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. It's like, it's like pretending your team won the Super Bowl and, and you're like tweeting about it while you know, the other team is holding the Super Bowl celebration rally. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. crypto Twitter is crazy, man. And it, it, I, I, it's like these days I have to 
watch who uh, what is being tweeted out and make sure I verify it because to your point, people are putting together all types of narratives and things are just false. Um, yeah. Oh, you know, another thing about Twitter that's amazing to me is I've reported, so there's a new type of bot. Their verified accounts are being taken over through hacking yeah. and then repurposed to look like Vitalik or me or Brad or somebody in the ecosystem. So I reported one of the Vitalik bots, a verified Vitalik bot, not a fake account, but like a verified fake account. And the Twitter uh, does an investigation and then they report port back, oh, that doesn't violate our terms of use. And I said, let me get this straight. The whole point of the verification program is to give a user a certainty that the person tweeting is the person with the name and the picture. It's obviously not Vitalik because he has a verified account. You can't be two verified Vitaliks. So, and the, this account, the only thing it's tweeting is, uh, you know, give money to me for giveaway scam. And then they tell me that they've conducted an investigation. A human being has looked at it, and that account doesn't violate the terms of service. That this is, is this is pretty wild, man. It's one thing if it's like a regular bot account, okay, whatever. Maybe it's uh, you know uh, an impersonation, whatever. They okay, but if a verified account, Twitter is vouching that that person is Vitalik, and that still doesn't go through. This is the state of affairs in our industry with social media and these other things. There's no incentive for truth anymore. People just say stuff and they, they write books and they do things and they just get away with it. And it is what it is. You know, you just smile and say, okay, you know, the dog barks, the caravan moves on. Yeah. It's, it's wild what's happening. Um, and hopefully, you know, it, it, I guess the point of, uh, well, let me back up. Blockchain will have to be the solution, right? Where we integrate, and to your point of what you guys are doing, identity and being able to verify that. Yeah, that's exactly. It's one of the best advertisements for Prism. I did a video when Jack Dorsey was still CEO of uh, Twitter. And uh, I said, hey, Jack, you know, if you want to get rid of all your bot accounts and you also want to prevent the hack that happened where the admin panel was taken over and people were tweeting on behalf of Obama and Biden and all these other things. I said, hey, if you want to do that, then you need to integrate DITs and have verified tweets. So instead of having verification just be a check mark, you create a DIT and go through KYC. Then once you've done that, then it's an additional thing you sign every tweet that you do with it. So even if somebody compromises your account, you'd have unsigned tweets versus signed tweets. And so, you know, a hacker could take over your account, but then it would appear red, the tweet's unsigned. And so you'd know that it's a scam tweet. There's a problem there, you see. And, uh, and once your namespace is set, it's very difficult for bots to do anything. And those impersonations wouldn't make any sense in that context. You know, the other thing is it's an AI problem. And it's extraordinary to me. Silicon Valley claims that they're all like just magical domain experts in AI. And they know all this stuff about AI. And yet they can't apparently identify the same 26 keywords or 30 keywords, it's it's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. It's, it's telling me Twitter doesn't, that, that just doesn't care. They yeah. really don't care because they understand the same thing that Musk is saying, which is that once they start looking into bot accounts, probably 20 or 30 or 40% of all the platform is bots. It's the same with Facebook. It's the same with all these guys. And you know they, they know that their valuations will go down. Their revenue for advertising will go down the minute they announce that. So they all play this shell game that they've somehow solved the bot problem, but they have no incentive to actually do it. Now, speaking of social media, uh, there was a question that uh, came from the community. 
is there any plans to do anything with web monetization or possibly building some sort of web browser? And it could be, you know, that could certainly not be relevant to you guys, but given what you're doing with Lace, um, any any thoughts around that? Well, as long as Lace has browser access, meaning that uh, we're able to run a browser-based wallet, we're not shut out. And as long as uh, we can operate that portal the way that we want to, I don't see there's a valid reason to build it. But that said, uh, Brave has been tremendously successful and they've done great work. And I really admire and like the Brave team. Uh, they made a lot of big commitments. They talked uh, a lot and they delivered. You know, they built a great ecosystem. Uh, they do everything from anonymizing your browser fingerprint uh, to Tor integration. They've thought a lot about the advertising model with privacy, and they've been a great advocate. And frankly, I think the way to build a browser correctly. So had Brave not existed, I'd be a, a lot more in the mood to say, hey, maybe we should do something here. But I think uh, Brendan is, and his team are just doing a phenomenal job. And um, I'm very glad that they're in the space. Now, what does concern me is that Google and Apple still have enormous amounts of control over the app space on cell phones. And maybe progressive web apps or something is required to help chip away at that. But it's problematic because they're determining your business models. They can just arbitrarily decide, yeah, we don't like NFTs. So fuck you, Riot. You know, fuck, you know, you're gone. You know, and that that's problematic because that compromises the integrity of products. I believe in freedom. I believe in open access. I believe that everybody should have the ability to download and do the things that they want as long as it doesn't violate the law. And NFTs do not violate the law, as far as we can tell. So why should Apple then get to sculpt the entire marketplace because some mid-level lawyers decided that perhaps there's some arbitrary SEC risk or something that's not even well-defined? That's a very problematic thing, and it has to stop. So there, there are some open questions that maybe, at the very least, we invest in Graphene OS, and you know, we build an open app store with, there's, I think it's F-Droid. There's a few that exist, and make sure that at least these things are available there for people who do want alternatives. The problem is that that's not mass consumerizable. Grandma doesn't have that. Grandpa doesn't have that. The 15-year-old kid doesn't have that. Uh, they have, you know, a Galaxy phone. They have an iPhone and these types of things. And until those monopolies get broken up, that's problematic. Uh, it would be nice to see regulation move in a direction that prevents ad, app stores from having monopolies over marketplaces and being able to sculpt the markets. By the way, it's not hypothetical. Look at uh, Amazon. They're no longer selling books through the Kindle app on Google phones, you know, through, through it, which is extraordinary. This is Amazon, a huge company. And Google basically gets to shut them out in that respect. So what chance do we have as the little guy in that respect? So that's an example of where Sherman Antitrust could potentially be used and, and explored because it does feel like it's a big problem. We do talk to regulators. We do talk to lawmakers about these problems. Uh, and they're all connected to that same collection of things where a small amount of companies can influence and distract a marketplace. But at least in the browser space, it doesn't seem like they've been able to stop that. And Brave is a great alternative for the time being. Mm. Um, there's a question from the community. You know, if you could look back five years, was, would there be anything that you would change uh, as far as your strategy, your planning and things like that? I know that's a loaded question. Oh, there's a ton of things that we would have done differently. Um, you know, knowing what we know now, uh, 
we probably would have invested a lot more time, effort, money early in building a proper specification language for formal methods. And also there was a collection of Haskell technologies that I thought would mature faster. And we would have invested a lot more time, effort, money in building those technologies out up front to save us a huge amount of heartache. Um, we would have been much better at interface design. And we'd have also been much better at protocol design and standards. And a lot of the wonky, stupid stuff that we did early on, we wouldn't have done at all. And then you wouldn't have had problems like with DBSync and uh, the Byron standards and these things that have just, just, there are a lot of legacy code that are very problematic to maintain. Uh, we would have probably invested a lot more effort into developer experience. And instead of launching with what we did with Alonzo, we would have launched with what we had with Fossil. Um, and if we had just paid a little bit more attention, we probably could have done that. And it would have saved us a lot of heartache in the initial wave of DAFs on Cardano. Uh, probably faster development of the on-chain voting artifacts. Um, but, you know, it's Monday morning quarterback probably would have released a browser wallet up front and not had a full node, have a full GUI. So Daedalus would have just been a command line interface for enterprises to use. And uh, we would have built Uroi to launch and we'd have had a significantly better consumer experience for adoption for Cardano. Um, we've never had a problem of foresight. You know, we've always known kind of where the space would go. And there's evidence of that because we've written 150 academic papers. And you can look at the papers and literally years before people are talking about stuff, uh, we, we talked about it. So we kind of knew where the world was coming. Our problem has been execution, where our time to market has been because of the, the, the processes we have, uh, sometimes a bit slow. Um, that said, some of the things are starting to now be recognized as big differentiators, like between the Ethereum merge and our consensus protocol. You know, Ethereum is the Hotel California of uh, cryptocurrencies where you can check in, but you can't check out. Your money gets locked. You can't unlock. Uh, and, uh, and also, you know, if, if for whatever reason something happens, you lose your money, the slashing mechanism. And it turns out that Cardano, none of this is necessary. And then the Ethereum people say, well, th there's no evidence that that'll be secure. We're like, well, guys, we've been running since 2020 and it's worked. We've never had a problem. And by the way, we've published all our papers. We went through the peer review process. So both the practical engineering community, the real life experiment and the academic community all agree that our model is viable. And we know how to scale that model. We know how to build out that model. So I think we won in the consensus fight. And Ethereum eventually is going to have to admit that, but they're very arrogant people. I got in a fight with an Ethereum core developer and he straight up admitted, the tweets are still there, that the reason why the Ethereum foundation didn't look into any of our technology is their personal distaste for me. So apparently because they don't like me, they think that every paper we've written is wrong, wow. even though... The third party, you know, independent review agrees that it's right. And we actually have more citations in our papers than any other consensus papers in the industry. Okay. Uh, so, so I think we won that fight. And so, you know, would we do that differently? Probably not. Maybe we would have been faster with simulations. Maybe we would have been faster to market with partial delegation. Um, there's a lot I'd like a do over on, on, user experience as well. And uh, I think we could have done a lot of things differently in that. But all things considered, given the scale of the project where you're talking about 
innovating with interoperability, governance, scalability, identity, uh, building it in more than 100 countries with 3 million plus users, bootstrapping an entire ecosystem without VCs or a lot of capital. Uh, you know, the total project cost was allocated $72 million. It created a $15 billion ecosystem. EOS raised $4 billion. Yeah. And their ecosystem's what, $2 billion? Yeah. And now they, they kept the money. You know, they, at least Dan Larimer gets to live the Steve Miller song, you know, keep take the money and run. But, uh, but you know, it, it is what it is. And so you just, uh, you, you just, you just accept that sometimes you're not perfect and you just move forward. What's really exciting is the community's doing a great job. We probably would have done over the, the Trinity structure with Emergo, TF, and IOHK. Uh, some things worked really, really well, but the foundation should be a members-based organization and it shouldn't probably be in Switzerland. The Stiftung structure in hindsight is not very good. So, you know, that you can complain about it, cry over it, or you can just set up a new MBO and you know get the community to help bootstrap that and get the existing foundation to help bootstrap that and get it where it needs to go. Uh, probably should have been some tighter controls on the VC side of Cardano as well. But you know we created the C fund and Catalyst seems to have been able to bridge that gap. And Emergo just announced that they're investing $200 million. And so uh, that's improving as well. We could have probably done a better job with VC relations. We didn't have any representation in Silicon Valley and New York and other places. So these poor VCs are sitting in a situation where 100% of their opinion of Cardano is coming from Polygon developers and Polkadot <laughs> developers and Algorand developers and you know Avalanche developers and Ethereum developers. I mean, yeah, these people are just legendary for their love and admiration of me. <laughs> so, so, uh, so I can imagine that's probably not easy to have a positive opinion. It's like probably trying to sell Donald Trump in uh, San Francisco or something like that here, you're not going to have a good experience with, uh, with that whole situation. That's okay. You know? Yeah. But you know, again, it's Monday morning quarterbacking. And at the end of the day, it's very easy to get caught in the weeds of, Oh, we made all these mistakes and ignore the fact that we still are a top 10 ecosystem yeah. and we have built so much amazing stuff and we're speeding up, not slowing down. We're gaining traction every day. We have more people, more transaction volume, and ultimately we're delivering on our roadmap. And, you know, if you pay attention to cryptocurrency Reddit, you're just super obsessed with the months of December of 2013 to June of 2014, I think the whole world began and ended there. Meanwhile, if you're actually paying attention, you realize that apparently stuff has been done and continues to be done. Fossil came out. I was on a panel with uh, Ryan Selkis at Masari, you know, while Fossil was being rolled out. No problems at all. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, 
Our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. You know, so there's something that's being done right, and the community is really driving forward. They're doing a great job, and I'm really proud of that. I think that uh, our best days are ahead of us as a result. For sure. Um, I want to switch gears and talk a bit about the crypto market at large. Um, uh, folks wanted me to ask you, you know, what, what do you think about what's happening with the SEC and all they're doing of crypto regulations? A lot of people not happy with Gary Genser, the recent Kim Kardashian PR stunt, as well as um, uh, the SEC Ripple lawsuit and uh, the judge's, you know, takes on what's been happening there as it relates to Ethereum and, uh, you know, the amicus briefs and things like that. Yeah. Well, there are some people in the XRP community that are trying to invent this grand conspiracy that there was blatant corruption between the insiders at the SEC and Ethereum. And, you know, I, I don't honestly think uh, that that's the issue here. Um, I think the issue is that both the CFTC and the SEC are ill-equipped from law and policy to properly regulate the cryptocurrency space. And so what they're doing is they're just trying to do it the way that they think they can with the framework they have. The SEC only has the ability to regulate if something is a security. If, if it's not, then it's not their wheelhouse. And so they're the, one of the very few U.S. regulatory bodies that has a consumer arm because everyday people own stock. And so they have lots of people. They have lots of enforcement capabilities. And let's be honest here. Luna happened. Yeah. BitConnect happened. OneCoin happened. Okay, so thousands of cases every year of bad behavior have occurred in our industry. And the losses have gone from millions to billions to almost a trillion dollars in under 13 years, faster than any industry before. And usually when you have an agency failure in the tens of billions of dollars, it does result in the creation of new law. A great example of that would be the collapse of Enron that led to Sarbanes-Oxley or the 2008 financial crisis, which led to the Dodd-Frank Consumer Protection Act. Okay, so what's happened is the legislative branch hasn't done its job. They haven't showed up and they haven't passed new laws to give new powers, new bureaucracies, new standards to properly regulate the cryptocurrency space in every aspect. As a result, what they're trying to do is just navigate this industry as best they can. And different commissioners have different viewpoints. Gensler apparently is trying to take an ecosystem viewpoint. It looks like he's not having the success he wants to have on the layer one side. So he's pursuing the exchanges now and trying a different strategy, but he is trying to install some sort of patchwork framework. I don't understand how it's going to actually work when he says come in and register. Uh, it doesn't make any sense because registration assumes that the equity, the security dies when the issuing agency goes away. Like there's no notion that Microsoft stock is going to continue trading, be valuable and be useful to people and have utility to people when Microsoft goes out of business. I don't understand how, how that, that works in that respect. Um, and so in what policy consideration are you satisfying? What information asymmetries are you resolving? What consumer protections are you putting in by 
a registration regime. All you're really doing is destroying liquidity. Hmm. You may be outlawing non-custodial wallets. So suddenly Uroi is illegal. MetaMask is illegal. All these things are illegal. It, okay. Uh, and are you really helping anybody at the end of the rainbow? No, because the assets still trade. They just now trade not in the U.S. marketplaces and billions of people are using them, consuming them. So you're destroying the American industry, which we have a lead in right now. Okay, how, what state would our economy be in had we destroyed the internet in the United States? We wouldn't have Google, we wouldn't have Facebook, we wouldn't have Amazon, they'd all be European companies. Yeah. And you know what would that do to our economy? Where would we be right now if we lost all that talent? So I don't understand that part of it. And I think that it's a, a very strange and counterproductive way of approaching things. Regulation through enforcement is by definition, very, very problematic. Now, the CFTC side does make more sense because cryptocurrencies do kind of look like commodities. Right. Uh, you know, it, I, I grow hay, for example. I don't have to go to like the central hay bureau and say, hey, I need permission to grow hay. Or can you give me a disclosure on hay or something like that? No, I just plant seeds and I irrigate. And then I cut it. And then when I cut it, I get taxed when I sell it. And when I sell it, I sell it into regulated marketplaces that are have protections in place for market manipulation. Uh, so, it, you know, the CFTC does this and they're a principles-based regulator from that perspective. So similar with the cryptocurrency, who has to ask permission at the moment to build on Cardano or Ethereum? No one. Right. In any given day, you can wake up and have a harebrained scheme and say, you know what, all those pillows behind me, I'm going to go and create an NFT project and issue NFTs and try to get my friends to buy them and so forth. Zero communication is required with any centralized entity to do that, much like zero communication is required for me to grow hay in that respect. Yeah. And all commodity markets behave this way. If you happen to be lucky enough to find some oil and you own that area where the oil's at, uh, you know, if you, as long as you comply with local government regulations, you can go and extract it. And then suddenly you are a member of the global oil business right there with the Saudis and the Russians and ExxonMobil and the rest of the gang, the big the, and the small in that, uh, in that respect. And so I think that uh, CFTC regulation does make more sense, but it doesn't solve a lot of the edge case. It's not a golden bullet. You, you, right. still, you still have a situation where you have custodial standards, the stablecoin regulations, a question about disclosures and KYC and AML for dApps and DeFi. And again, all these things are out of the scope, mostly of the CFTC and the SEC. For example, Senator Toomey wants to push regulation. I think it's very reasonable for asset-backed stablecoins to regulate them like banks. Why? Because... They basically are a bank. Right. They're taking a deposit. They're issuing something. The thing they're issuing only is worth that because you trust them. Well, that's exactly how a bank operates. Right. You trust them. And that therefore, they're the most regulated of all actors in the financial industry. So if you're going to, it, it's not a cryptocurrency. It's a crypto asset, but it doesn't have decentralization. The only reason Tether or Circle or these other things are worth anything is because you trust the companies behind them to be honest, credible actors, and you trust the auditors. So more regulation is better in that particular case. On the other hand, algorithmic stablecoin, the custodian is the blockchain. We can verify on both sides what's the case. So that's a different kind of regulation at that point. The consumer needs to understand under what circumstances the peg will break. 
because many cases they don't. They treat them exactly the same as an asset-backed stablecoin. And then you have a Luna incident. Luna is a completely different design as a partially collateralized asset versus an over-collateralized asset. So a different regulatory framework needs to be incubated there. So I think practically what's going to happen is nothing is going to get done this year because of the midterm election. After that's done, the Financial Innovation Act, the Lummis Gillibrand Financial Innovation Act, will probably merge with efforts that Toomey has and the Biden executive order, and then something will be patched together and passed. If it's a blue wave and the Democrats hold the Senate and the Congress, it'll probably look a lot more like what the recommendations are in the Biden executive order with some flavoring on the uh, on the Financial Innovation Act. And if it's a red wave, it'll look a lot more like the Financial Innovation Act with some sprinkles in the Biden executive order, especially around environmental standards, the use of the EPA and uh, DOE for Bitcoin mining and these types of things. Uh, but we'll get it done in 2023, more likely than not. And I think as long as there's some sprinkling of the executive order, Biden will sign it. Right. Yeah. I, and I think to your point, nothing's going to happen at the remainder of this year, but definitely 2023 seems things are moving. Um, what will happen then? Um, but Charles, I want to ask you a question and I don't know if you can speak to it, but I, I understand that the legislative folks failed, that they have not put together the, 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 the regulations and say, SEC, here are the rules, CFTC, here are the rules. Yeah. But, but why would the SEC selectively say certain assets are securities and some, some are not? and leave Cardano and Algorand and all these other out in the wind as to this uncertainty for those who want to build on. This is the frustration of regulation by enforcement. And it's the same problem with speeding. So, you know, if you're a cop and you're standing outside of the road, you know, you have your, your radar out and, and let's say everybody on the highway is going 75 miles an hour and the speed limit's 55. You can only pick one at a time. Yes. So is that fair? that one person who got picked versus all the other people, it's a systemic problem. So that's their argument with enforcement. They say, look, we can only do so much at a time. We only have resources for so much at a time. We're just going to pick what we feel are the most egregious offenders first and work our way down the list. Okay. Um, but in the, in the process of doing that, you're destroying American innovation. In the process of doing that, you're putting unusual and in some cases, cruel burdens upon innovative projects that are just trying to do interesting things. And at the end of the day, you're not really in the spirit of what you're trying to do, improving the situation. You know, uh, is it giving traffic tickets to people going 75 miles an hour on a five-lane highway really an efficient use of your time? Or is looking for drunk drivers uh, or these types of things an efficient use of your time? If you had to pick one, which one are you going to go for? So the prior administration chose to focus a lot more on fraud. You know, so they looked at the, the big connects of the world and these types of things. This one seems to be a lot more focused for some reason on the speeders in, in their view. But nobody seems to be questioning the judgment of why was the speed limit set at 55 miles an hour to begin with? Maybe this highway can support 75. These people actually aren't violating the law. There's no there's no pr protection, motorist protection or policy consideration that you're doing. And all you're doing is inconveniencing everybody in this fact and hurting American competitiveness. And frankly, I think it's above the SEC's pay grade to make unilaterally these types of decisions. Right. I think the issue is that the Treasury Department at the moment is not because of its leadership well equipped to fully appreciate and understand uh, our industry. Part of that is age, part of that is philosophy, and part of it is just the nature of how things are working politically in Washington right now. Right now, uh, they got other things they're worried about. 
this recession from COVID is traumatic. $9 trillion of value has been lost in the stock market. There's a war in Ukraine. Uh, the commodity markets are very shaky right now. Supply chains were devastated from COVID because of the response to the lockdowns. And as a result, inflation has creeped its way in alongside the monetary policy that exacerbated it. And now you have a situation where, you know, dollars inflating 8%, 10% per year. And the problem is you have all these inflation index things. And that basically means America's going to be permanently running a horrific deficit. And if we're not careful, the dollar could collapse. If we move in the other direction, we could be knocked into a depression. Mm-hmm. The Treasury Department's right now dealing with that. And as, as important as crypto is to us, we have to remember that we're also in that same conversation of potential nuclear war in the next 90 to 180 days with Putin to, you know, mass inflation to an economy that's in a very bad state. There's also a political reality where things have gone from disagreements to personal. The last 20 years, um, it's gone from I disagree with you to you are Hitler. I hate you and you have to be thrown in jail. Politics is starting to increasingly get criminalized. Mm. Now it's regular that the FBI apparently thinks it's okay to seize congressmen's phones and you know senators' phones, and, uh, and apparently there's tons of criminal investigations into various people. And the problem is that's not going to stop with the left to the right. When the right gets back in power, it'll go right to left. You know, I guarantee you, if the Republicans retake the House and Senate, there'll be aggressive criminal investigations into Hunter Biden. You know, so when you look at that type of politics, how do you get legislation passed? How do you get clarity when the people on the other side of the aisle are actually trying to put you in jail? Yeah, that's uh, that's a that's an unprecedented situation that uh, that we have. And it is something that I think is going to create a lot of long term issues for us. And the problem is that regulation is downstream of that. You know, whether you're the CFTC, by the way. It's not just our industry that's complaining about the SEC. There's a lot of people that are complaining right now about the EPA's involvement in SEC policy and people weaponizing the Security Exchange Commission to push an environmentalist policy and the green policy and so forth. Is that constitutional? Who knows? It'll probably go before the Supreme Court at some point. And that's just one of dozens. There's also questions of maybe using SEC to enforce equity requirements, where if your board is not, uh, you know, not certainly diversified in a particular direction, maybe you're not in compliance with regulations or something like that, or you can't do your IPO or these types of things. And there's also soft power as well. So a ton of regulation in the financial industry is done through self-regulatory organizations and customs and standards like FINRA and so forth. So it could be the case that Technically, the policy lets you do it, but then the silent policy is you'll never get a bank account. You'll never be able to get correspondent relationships. You'll never be able to actually do regulated business. You just simply don't get the license unless you comply with these user standards that exist. Hmm. You see, and that's that, that. And we see this a lot with this type of administration. There was like the Fast and Furious program. We saw that with um, the crackdown of the Obama administration with uh, you know, preventing people who sell guns and who do pornography and other things from being able to get bank accounts, you know, so they exert soft influence and pressure. So it wouldn't surprise me if there's a crypto provision in that respect in certain contexts. So we as an industry have to work our way through it. We're not immune to the macro politics of things. We'd like to believe that we're our own thing, but we're beholden to that. 
and we just have to work our way through it. Mm. Um, Charles, I know we're up on time, so I'm going to end it with some fun, two fun questions from the community. What does your phone home screen look like? <laughs> you can share that. <laughs> Never. <laughs> That's like, hey, what's your what's your password? <laughs> I, I figured I'd ask if, <laughs> and finally, you know, when are you going to ride horses with Sean Ford from Algorand? You know, Sean, I've known for a while. He's, uh, he's also a, uh, a resident of Wyoming and I think he's got a ranch somewhere out here. I don't know exactly where it's at, but, uh, I'll definitely see him. And actually we're trying to set up a standards Institute over at the university of Wyoming. And it'd be a lot of fun to see if we get, uh, Algorand involved in that. Cause they think about a lot of things the same way we do and being, you know, Wyoming and Wyoming, I think it's a slam dunk. So, uh, you know, whatever Sean's up for it, if he happens to be in the Wheatland area, we certainly can go and, ride some horses. Although I just got a bunch of mini horses out here right now. So you can't really ride Mr. Tibbers or these other things. You can try. It's not going to work out for you. Uh, but uh, maybe I could grab a gypsy vanner or two. And we can have some fun. For sure. Uh, Charles, always a pleasure chatting with you. Always insightful information. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Cheers. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.